Industry-leading, difference-making, tomorrow-shaping, world-changing. These are a few of the adjectives people use to describe the technologies and companies Deloitte works with day in and day out. Join us, and soon those very same adjectives could describe your career too. Explore technology careers at Deloitte.com slash techcareers and make an impact on business, technology, and society while engineering your future. At Deloitte. Getting that just right temperature or getting an energy-efficient appliance. It's not only about making smart changes today. It's about creating brighter tomorrows with simple steps to save energy. Plus, you'll help protect the environment for years to come. A better world for you, your family, and your community. Get started with rebates and discover what energy-efficient choices can help you power what's next at AlliantEnergy.com rebates. Today, Carl and Nick preview the Broncos' week one matchup against the San Diego, or I guess I should say Los Angeles Chargers, as they go up against the Denver Broncos in Denver. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Once again, Broncos country, it is time to huddle up. I am Carl Dummler, and with me as always, we have Nick Kendall. Nick, how are things? I, I saw this last weekend. Your Iowa Hawkeyes gave your draft crash, your draft crush, Josh Allen, all he could handle. More like a draft crash after that performance, let's be real. I don't want to get too much into it, but I went back and watched um, some of the tape. It's on Big Ten Network uh, to go, which is nice. I couldn't find it on YouTube, and I feel like... I mean, he did display the the big arm and the athleticism. I don't know if you watched the game where he escaped that sack and, and ran in Josie Jewell, who's actually my boy. I think he had like 14 tackles, 15 tackles this game. But I feel like Allen was so too much in his head. He's like, this is what a pro quarterback is, drilled in his head over and over again, heard it all offseason. And instead of running around and making plays and showing off that vertical arm, he tried to play more of a horizontal offense, which he made some throws that not a quarterback – not many quarterbacks in the NFL can make, to put it that way. That's how much velocity and accuracy he had in that intermediate part of the field outside the hash marks. But he struggled, had not the best game, and he's going to have to redeem himself when they play uh, Oregon in two weeks at Wyoming. He did suffer a shoulder injury on his non-throwing shoulder, but still not his best game. He didn't live up to uh, what Rosen and uh, Lamar Jackson did this week. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And uh, you know, everybody always has to keep in mind, you can't base a, a player's evaluation off their worst game or by their best game. Allen, I think he did feel a little bit of the pressure. You know, he, he was talked up all offseason. He was kind of the unknown last year. And just have to see how he handles it the rest of the season. So I'm excited to get a little more little more time watching him, you know, beyond this game and and see if he can can redeem himself. Because he definitely has all the tools. You know, that's what they said about about my boy Paxton Lynch as well. So just have to see if he can can develop him a little bit better or a little bit quicker, I guess is a better way to say it. Yeah, but, absolutely. But he did yeah. show, I mean, de- decently. And let's be real, the Iowa defense is pretty solid. They, It's really tough to win at Kinnick. This wouldn't be the first time that a lower Division One quarterback struggled at a home opener at Iowa. It was none other than Ben Roethlisberger back in 2003 who opened up against Iowa. Uh, and if you guys remember, Ben Roethlisberger played for Miami, Ohio. He went 27 for 42 for 250 yards and threw four interceptions. No touchdowns. 
So there's a precedence for a big rocket armed quarterback struggling at Kinnick opening week. So one game of film, you don't want to overreach it too much, but you have to acknowledge the faults as well. So, but we should probably move on to uh, the Broncos actually. (laughs) There you go. Well, as you, as many of you listeners know, this, uh, this show focus is all things that pertain to your Denver Broncos. As you just heard, Lots of draft speculation. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking about that throughout the year, and especially once the offseason starts next year. But we're also about roster analysis, pre- game previews and reviews. And, of course, all those flaming hot takes. You know, we, we love to just talk football 24-7 if you haven't caught on. But, of course, uh, Nick and I will continue to, to bring you listeners interesting content for the most hardcore fans who eat, sleep, and breathe Denver Bronco football. While it is fun to simply watch the game, we are here to provide you an entertaining deep dive on the Broncos roster and key matchups in each and every preview episode. With Nick and myself, Film Junkies, we'll be bringing you these previews with a scout-based perspective. You can follow myself on Twitter at Carl Dummler, as well as follow Nick at Nick Kendall MHH. Be sure to tweet us any questions or opinions you have because we live to talk Bronco football. You can also follow the podcast Twitter account at HuddleUpPod. Make sure you check out ours and our co-writers written content at MileHighHuddle.com, a part of Scout.com and an affiliate of the CBS Sports Digital Network. Now we know you listeners are as football and Bronco crazy as we are, so please give us a click and subscribe to us on iTunes as well as Stitcher. Don't forget to share us on Facebook and Twitter. We wouldn't be here today without you listeners. So please take the time to rate and subscribe to let your voices be heard on how you enjoy the show. We also wanted to let you know that the the contest that we've been running, we're going to actually extend it here just a little bit. So make sure to go on. And and the way that you win is giving us the best rating and review on iTunes and Stitcher. And the prize will be a complimentary milehighhuddle.com VIP premium membership. That means that you get access to all of our film reviews and, and more in-depth articles, as well as access to our members-only message boards. So make sure to, to get on there. It doesn't have to be a glowing review. If you have something that, that you would like to, to see us fix to do better at, we're just looking for the, the best, most creative review. We'll announce it later this month. I also want to let you know that our episode today is brought to you by MyBookie.net. MyBookie.net is all about the excitement of making accurate sports predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. It's totally recreational, and there are all kinds of prizes. Today's climate, the fantasy industries have made watching football a lot more interesting. So go to mybookie.net and compete for great prizes totally free. Well, here we go, Nick. The games finally matter, and and, and we're at the, the matter at hand of our first game against the division rival L.A. Chargers. I'm still not quite used to that whole L.A. part. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how long it's going to take me to get used to that. I'm hoping by the next game, the next time that we do this kind of preview for the podcast. But right now, they still feel like the San Diego Chargers to me. And uh, so, yeah, I, I just want to get that out front that most likely one of us or both of us are going to mess up on that. That's that's for sure. Yeah, for me, it's easy to remember because the Chargers almost always have an L next them after we play them so just having an l in front of them doesn't make much of a difference so the (laughs) la chargers the the loss in the column next to them seems like a smooth transition to me which there you go i don't feel bad because (laughs) i do not like their owners i feel like they kind of were not the best of the city of san diego that's for sure yeah oh man and especially now what what, how many people does that stadium hold like twenty five thousand? If that, it's yeah. literally like a college soccer stadium. Oh boy, yeah, that, that's going to be interesting to watch games be played there. But yeah, last time the Broncos met up with the with the LA Chargers, Broncos won the game twenty seven to nineteen. 
And if you remember that game right, Philip Rivers, that's probably a night he would like to forget. He, he was picked off three different times. Bradley Robo was able to take one for a pick six. Broncos offense wasn't exactly all that great. I mean, Trevor Simeon didn't throw a touchdown. He had one interception. They had a couple different fumbles. But, you know, they were able to get a couple rushing touchdowns around the red zone where they had some turnovers and pulled out the victory. And that was at mile high this last time. So again, here we find ourselves at mile high and, and, and the Broncos, they have just, they have dominated the chargers. I mean, it's, it's crazy how much they've been able to win. And since 2011, I think I counted only three losses if if that's right. And that's including the playoffs. Of course, you know, we had the playoff one against them and, I'm trying to remember the first one was when Tim Tebow made his debut where they kind of put him in halfway through the game or something like that. And we kind of made a comeback, almost won that thing. Yes. You know, the, the Tim Tebow magic hit. It's a <laughs> the real deal. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I, I still, that season, I still have no clue how that all happened, but it did. And then 2013, we were on a shortened week, if I remember right. And on a Thursday, both of those games were on Thursdays. Or no, no, just just that one. And and then this last one this last year uh, was the other one that we lost when Trevor Simeon, what, he could only throw it like 25 yards? Yeah, you know, he, he was still injured, but Paxton, Paxton oh. didn't look that good. They tossed him out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I know. But not a good look when the Hail Mary can't make it to the end zone. That's for sure. But yeah, yeah some forgettable losses there. But, you know, we find ourselves once again with an opportunity to, to give them a loss. And I'm, I'm excited to watch this one. This is a, a good opening test for the Broncos, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. The game that I probably look back least fondly on against the Chargers was that home loss in uh, 2012. I remember watching it with some friends of mine. I believe it was my... That wasn't 2012. Was it 2013? Anyway. It was 2013, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we ordered Pizza Hut, and it was snowing really hard, and got sick from the Pizza Hut. So, add insult to injury. Not the best time. Maybe it was the Broncos play that got me sick. I remember we couldn't stop the run in that game, and that spelled doom later on in the season. But what can you do? <laughs> yeah. Well, the all-time series, the Broncos have a, a great record against the, the Chargers. They are 64-50-1. and 50 and one. The team split the, the season series a year ago, uh, obviously with both teams winning at home. And the Chargers look for their first win in Denver since 2013. So this marks the first time the AFC rivals meet on kickoff weekend since 1994. And unfortunately, that was a 37-34 to Chargers win. Oof, don't like that. But we're we're right back at it. We're finally back to the season. You know, it's the NFL season. It just seems like it's such a whirlwind. You know, you hit and you just go, 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 go. And then all of a sudden you're in the offseason again. So, you know. Strap in Bronco fans, you know, get ready for, for some, some great times with, with us here on the podcast and, of course, at Mile High Huddle. And to start off here, we thought we'd just talk about some, some key matchups of the game that we're going to be keeping an eye on, and we think you should too. And the first is that of Phillip Rivers and, and, of course, the passing attack against the Broncos secondary. You know, Phillip Rivers, Broncos have kind of been either brought glory to him or just completely embarrassed him. You know, I remember that uh, 2012 game where we made the huge comeback. Or were we down like twenty four to zero? It was like twenty four to zero, twenty four to three. Yeah, that was an amazing game. Yeah, that was Monday like night. That. Yeah, and Rivers just had turnover after turnover in that second half. And like I said, this last this last game, three interceptions. You know, some forgettable games for Philip Rivers against this Broncos secondary. And but Rivers, you know, he is that guy. When you think of the Chargers, that's who you think of. You know, I, him and his bow ties, or not Below. bow ties. 
yeah, bolo ties, <laughs> you know, hey, man, but, my, those bow tied jerks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, it's crazy for me. Just a little side note here. Philip Rivers, he's kind of, he's growing on me as a player. I remember, oh, I think it was back in 2007 or 2008 season where the Chargers were just destroying the Broncos. And he was like yelling across the sideline, just mocking Bronco players. And I just, at that time I was going, man, I hate this guy more than Brady. You know, that, that was my thought in my head. And, and now I've reached a point where I'm like, man, this guy, he's just a competitor. You know, I think he's grown up since then a little bit. You know, I had a few more kids. A few. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say a few. What yeah. is he on? 10? I don't know. He's up there for sure. But, you know, no, I have. I've, I've grown to respect his play, his, his passion for the game. And, and he is. He's the guy that you have to shut down. You know, you stop Philip Rivers, you most likely win the game. And, you know, that's, that's the, the task the Broncos have here for this one. And he's got some decent weapons this year. Do you want to talk about some of those guys? Yeah, but first I want to talk a little bit about his season last year. He had a pretty solid season again. I mean, Rivers, he is probably one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the league. I mean, he's never talked about as one of the upper echelon guys. He's not a tier one passer like Breeze, Roethlisberger, Rodgers, and Brady have been. But his peak years are very good. Uh, Last season, he threw 349 completions out of 578 attempts. 4,386 yards and 33 touchdowns, which is the second most in his career, only behind his career high set in 2008. So he had a good season last year. He's still a little bit turnover prone, um, not the most fleet of foot. Like if you can get him in the pocket, it's it, he is the, literally the same plan as Tom Brady. He's Tom Brady light because he doesn't really beat you deep, but he beats you uh, horizontally. And you got to beat, you got to hit him, hit him, hit him, and stop the run and create third and longs to beat him. Like you said, he does have a fair amount of weapons. Um, Fortunately for us, unfortunately for them, first round selection, early first round selection, I believe it was seven overall, Mike Williams will be out of this game. He, he had an injury and is not supposed to be back until uh, week eight. He's on the uh, the pup. So we won't need to worry about him uh, yet. However, Keenan Allen, he's probably the most valuable weapon for Phillip Rivers, but he just can never stay healthy. It's really quite a shame. He got injured in college. Uh, he went to the University of Cal. I believe he had an, it was an MCL injury. It was a PCL. He had a PCL injury and uh, didn't run at the combine. Ran at the Cal Pro Day and had a horrible 40. He ran like a 471. Apparently he was running at 80%. Probably shouldn't have ran, but first round pick going into his Pro Day. After that, he fell to the third round because his 40 was that bad. 40 is not important for every position, but for wide receiver, it's important. Um, And he's also battled injuries throughout his career. Just last season, after week one, he tore his ACL against the Chiefs, which killed me because I had him in like three or four fantasy PPR leagues. So (laughs) He's always that tease. Yeah, Yeah. he's always that tease of that guy that if you catch him on the right season, he could be like that just breakout player that finishes in top 10 that you got mid-late rounds. Yeah. But he just never is that guy especially in PPR because Philip Rivers, like we talked about, he's not really much of a vertical threat guy. He does have a decent arm, but it's just more that he wins mentally and with accuracy. Now, granted, does he always make the best decisions? No, but he goes through his progressions quickly is what I'm getting at. And Keenan Allen playing in the slot has been super effective for him. Um, over the past few seasons, Philip Rivers has had a QBR of over 100 when targeting Keenan Allen and just very effective. They move him around, but where I like him the most is in the slot because he's got some decent size. I mean, he's 6'1", 6'2", about 200 and 205 pounds, but he's just so technical with his routes. I'm sure you love watching him play because of how he gets separation. He's not 
the most physically gifted guy, but he's just so clean in his routes. And that's probably one of the reasons he gets injured because his cuts are so hard in and out of his routes. Yeah, he he's definitely up there for me in route running. And, you know, that was part of the reason I hated watching the the Chargers get him in the third round. You know, I just could not believe that he fell that far just because of a bad 40, you know, after an injury. But, you know, that's the way teams are. You get one really bad piece of information and all of a sudden everybody panics. Oh, I remember, who was it? The oh, linebacker for Cincinnati that went undrafted at one point. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a jerk. And he's a <laughs> dummy off the field and right. on the field. Right, he is. But he's a player too, you know. He, yeah. He's a playmaker for him. And, uh, you know, it just some of that buzz got, got around and teams – took him off their board. And I mean, I don't blame him. I wouldn't want him on the Broncos, honestly, even with his playmaking ability. But I don't know. I just wouldn't want that headache of having to try to justify that kind of player being on our team. But we had Bill Romanowski. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. Okay. But (laughs) I was, I was young then. I was very ignorant of all that was going on, but yeah, no, Keenan Allen, great playmaker. I've heard that he is back to hundred percent pretty much. They're really impressed with his ability, his route running being you know, what it was last year before he got hurt. And he's, yeah, he's one of the more dangerous wide receivers in the league when healthy, but that's the key word when, and, you know, we'll just have to see, you know, is he a hundred percent go where he's in for the entire game or is he kind of, they're going to ease him into the season. I, I don't know. We'll have to have to see on that, but he's definitely a playmaker to be watching out for. And then you have the guy that took over for him when he got hurt in Tyrell Williams. He became the number one wide receiver and he's kind of, he's a big player actually, 6'3", 205, but he doesn't play big at all. You know, he does a lot of body catching. He doesn't make a lot of the tough catches. You know, I, I watched about a 10 minute highlight video of his season from last year, which was most of his catches. And Man, there, there was very few that were contested. He had to be open to make the catch. But he, he is. He's a big play receiver, ran a 4-4-3 for Western Oregon and had six catches of 40-plus yards, 19 catches of 20-plus yards, and averaged 15.3 yards per reception. He's just he's a, he's a vertical threat, and you know that's something you have to, to keep an eye on. The Broncos have been very good about not giving up big plays. You know They've had good safety play. They've had cornerbacks that just don't give that up. You know That's, that's one of the great things about, about Chris Harris. You know, he just, he's willing to give up the four yard catch. He's not willing to give up the 40 yard catch. You know, he, he trusts his tackling and uh, you know, that's, that's what you need, especially against these kind of receivers. And, uh, but you know, he did have a thousand yard season. So he's definitely a, a guy to keep an eye on and could really turn a game with one play. Yeah, absolutely. And like you touched on when I watched him, I was first impressed by the height. I was like, man, he's really six, three, but watching him play, he plays like he's 5'11". You know, he's just not very physical at the uh, catch point. He can get bodied, especially by more aggressive corners. And he's pretty much boomer bust. Six catches of over 40 yards, 19 of over 20, 15.3 yards per reception. You got to have that vertical threat, you know, that does take the top off. But he's not a complete receiver, at least not yet. He's still decently young. One of the things I was impressed about his deep ball is something that ever since watching Deshaun Jackson, it's something that I really value in those guys. And Emmanuel Sanders is really good at it as well, um, is on the deep balls, he can adjust his stride to just make it so he's reaching optimum speed right when the ball is at like the perfect point for him to catch it. And when the ball has, you know, enough loft on it, it's deep enough and the cornerbacks behind you a little bit, or at least close, you can alter your, your stride and then add that extra zip at the end to catch the ball and get, create a little bit of separation. And he does a good job doing that. So I'm expecting to see a lot of a uh, deep zone from both Darian Stewart and Justin Simmons, because Williams is a legitimate deep threat and they're going to have to watch it because 
those big plays, as a fan service would like to call them, juice, juice plays, can turn turn the tide on a game very quickly. So you can't let that guy beat you over the top. I'd rather get beat by a death of a thousand paper cuts than one sharp stab to the heart. Definitely. And another guy that got some some playing time last year was Dontrell Inman. And, you know, <laughs> I look at the receivers that Philip Rivers had to play with last year, and he he made them look good, you know. I, I was amazed, like with Tyrell Williams, you know, how many plays he did get hit in stride. You know, and like you said, he did a, adjust his his stride a little bit to, to help out. But there's a lot of, you know, slant plays and things like that where it just – you know, that, that's what's, that's something the Broncos have been missing. Perfect pass that allows a, a wide receiver to go add an extra 20 yards on a play. And that, that's what the, what the Chargers were able to have last year. And, and Dontrell Inman, you know, another big receiver, 6'3", 205, undrafted out of Virginia. And like I said, he had a good season, 58 receptions, 810 yards, four touchdowns, you know, for a guy that most teams probably wouldn't have on their roster. He came out and played pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. And we would be remiss if we didn't mention it'll be a second year for him. Travis Benjamin's also another weapon that they have. Their smallest wide receiver, 5'10", 170, but he's still relatively young. He's only 27 years old, and he's legitimately got speed. He ran a 4.3640, and last season he had 47 receptions, 677 yards, and four touchdowns. And I was watching the Chargers-Rams game uh, in that little soccer stadium they, they have there in Los Angeles. And um, he had a play where he just literally just smoked the guy. I went to the University of Miami. They have a pretty good history of turning out wide receivers. So he's another one that you're gonna have to watch out for in terms of their wide receiver core. So add a healthy Allen back, uh, Benjamin, Inman, Williams, and Mike Williams when he returns. Philip Rivers has some weapons to work with in the, at the wide receiver spot on the depth chart. Luckily for the Broncos, they are pretty deep at cornerback, the deepest in the league, I would say. So if there's any team that can match up with them, it's probably the Broncos. Definitely. Now, now one area that I do think could be, you know, it's been a problem area for the Broncos for a while. The the Chargers have one of the best, probably one-two punches in the league, and that is the tight end position for them. Hunter Henry and, and Antonio Gates, you know, the the guy that just keeps showing up. I, I, I don't know how he keeps doing it. You know, Antonio Gates, he just seems to never get old in the NFL. But, but Hunter Henry... He is emerging as maybe that next possible big tight end in the NFL. I, I love watching him, especially around the red zone. He just he makes plays. And uh, he's been I, I think that's why, you know, Philip Rivers was able to have, you know, his second best touchdown year of his career. You know, these guys combined for 15 touchdowns. So you think 33 touchdowns for the year, 15 came just from these two guys. And I don't know. I, I just <clears throat> I would love to have a Hunter Henry on our team. And you have here here in our notes, there, there was a rumor that McCoy approached the front office about trading for Henry after, of course, McCoy rejoined the Broncos. I, I hadn't heard that before. Uh, yeah, that's from an inside source. McCoy approached the front office about potentially pursuing Henry because he was that uh, unhappy, I guess, or not enthused by the Broncos tight ends. And he loves Henry that much. And I'm a big Hunter Henry fan, too. If he would have come out this last year instead of the year prior, he would have been my tight end too, just because he can play in line. He went to Arkansas. He's not the best athlete ever. You know, he's not going to be a great seam threat, but he's got hands like glue. He blocks very well, does a good job of adjusting for the ball in the air. And all those things added together equal a really good red red zone threat and an inline tight end who can play both ways. So obviously I'd have OJ Howard as number one. I'm OJ Howard's my boy. Uh, (laughs) 
if you guys did not know that now, you know, I've loved OJ Howard and I was all about drafting him until Russell Okung walked. Then I'm like, okay, we need to tackle. But anyway, taking it back from the draft. Yeah. What a great tight end pair. I am really jealous of them. I am a huge fan of what a tight end can bring to the offense, what the Patriots did for their offense. And I want to say it was 2012 when they had Hernandez as that more of the move tight end and uh, Gronk is that inline guy. Oh my God, that's that's literally that's how I play in Madden. Just because yeah, it adds so much versatility, you can move guys around, and if you have an athlete that can you know play in the slot as well, it really can just change the dynamic of an offense. And that's what the the Chargers can do. I'm not sure how the new head coach uh, Anthony Lynn will use the tight ends. He didn't really use the tight ends so much at Buffalo. I mean, Charles Clay was solid there, but never really the pro- production that we saw out of Hunter Henry or Antonio Gates last season, even. But really good group and the Broncos have struggled against the tight end. So this is the first area we're going to see if TJ Ward's missed or if the Broncos have improved because how they've gotten beat defensively over the last few years is passes to the running backs and passes to the tight ends. And also worth noting one more touchdown pass for Antonio Gates and he will own the all time touchdown reception record for a tight end. So congratulations to Gates when he gets that, but let's push that off until week two, if we can. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be nice. So I guess now getting to, the Bronco players into this matchup. I, who do you think is going to be matched up on who in this game? I would have Harris on Keenan Allen just because they're both the technical guys and Allen plays so much slot. Uh, I would have Roby on Benjamin uh, just because he's got good turn and uh, go deep speed. He can chase Benjamin and I'd have Tlaib on Williams again, just that's because Williams is the, uh, the biggest of those three that are going to be getting time. And I like to have the length on length matchup if possible. That said, moving around, I could see Harris on Benjamin, Roby put on Allen in the slot. That's, I mean, all three of the Broncos cornerbacks are versatile. They don't just have a certain niche where they succeed. Uh, granted, Harris is the best nickel slot cornerback in the NFL right now, but he can play outside just as well. So I'm expecting them to move him around. Probably see more Tlaib on the right and Harris on the left rather than who they match up on. But I'm excited to see this matchup, and it's going to go a long way in determining how this game plays out. I guess, how do you see this playing out then? Uh, I am not as worried about the wide receivers, especially with Mike Williams uh, gone. I wasn't the biggest Mike Williams fan, but you got to respect his ability to go up and get jump balls, especially as a red zone weapon. And I don't see that with Keenan Allen, Inman, Benjamin, or Tyrell Williams. Now I am, like I touched on a little bit, I am worried about the tight ends. And with the new safety pairing of Simmons and Carter, maybe Parks getting more time and uh, the linebackers who have had some injuries and struggled in covering tight ends, it's going to be a big test. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's how the Chargers planned against us running the ball, especially with their new head coach, Lynn. He fed LaShawn McCoy more touches than I ever saw from a running back last season. And using that two tight end set and then using the size and the power of the tight ends instead of you know making Rivers throw to the outside is how I would attack us. So that's where I'm worried. Now, you'd mentioned earlier about TJ Ward being gone. Of course, you know, every Bronco fan knows that right now. Would you expect that there's going to be kind of an adjustment period with him being gone whenever you kind of move those guys around? And, and Simmons now playing strong safety is the way it sounds it's going to be. I, I kind of thought they would actually move Darian Stewart there and move Simmons to the free safety spot, but I guess they decided they didn't want to make him learn a whole new position either. Like I said, I, I, do you expect that adjustment period for this kind of game where it's going to be a little bit of struggle, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad? Yeah, I think it'll be up and down. Simmons is a unique weapon. He's not the thickest guy, but he's 6'2", and he has like 33, 34-inch arm length. 
and elite jumping ability, lower body explosion, and agility. So I'd like to see him as a matchup safety against the tight ends. Uh, he's not the longest or the quickest long strider in terms of like he didn't have a good 40 time. So when you see tight ends who are seam threats or can take a slant to the house, like say Travis Kelsey, he, they might give him issues. But I don't see Gates doing that. And I don't see Henry doing that. They're not really seam threat tight ends. They're not super big threats to take one to the house. So I'm excited to see Simmons in that strong safety role. But I'm also thinking that they're going to be moved around. It's both those safeties can play either free safety or strong safety. So one can come down, one can go in the the deep cover zone, or you can have Jamal Carter as well, who's going to play more of that weak side linebacker, uh, dime back type uh, for the sub defenses. So there will be some adjustment, but Broncos, one of the reasons they got rid of Ward is because they were so happy with how both Carter, Parks, and Simmons played in Ward's absence, pretty much all training camp and all preseason. I mean, if you wouldn't have known Ward was out with how well the passing defense played, I don't think you would have missed him. I mean, that's as sad as that sounds, but I mean, they, they played great, especially the, the last few games. I mean, not many, not many touchdowns surrendered because of the defense. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think there will be a little bit of adjustment period where you're going to see, you're always going to see those young guys have a few mistakes here and there. You know, there's probably going to be a little bit of communication issues every once in a while. You know, TJ Ward was kind of that guy that always got everybody in the right spot. And, you know, if he or if he saw somebody out of the wrong, you know, in the wrong spot, he'd get him to the right spot. And and he was always that voice that kind of calmed everybody down. You know, I always kind of view him as that guy that, you know, we struggled with our first drive last year. I think that's pretty well documented. Everybody kind of knows that a little bit. I think he was probably that guy that was that voice of, hey, all right, we've got the bad one out of the way. Let's get going, you know. And and so just seeing how that's going to, to change for this this unit of who's going to be that voice that when something goes wrong, you know, who steps up and says, all right, let's get this back on track. For me, I, I keep telling people with TJ Ward, you're going to miss his leadership more than his play on the field. As a player on the field, he was the weak link in the, the no-fly zone. He just, he struggled in one-on-one coverage. He can't be a deep safety. You know, he can't be that lone survivor there at the back end. You know, he had to be kind of that box guy that came up to make plays. But like I said, he was that, that voice of leadership that kind of got the rest of them to play at the higher level. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see see the field without him on it. It's, you know, we've had him, what, now three years? Three straight years? Yeah, it was three years. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so <laughs> I'll miss him, but I'm excited for the young guys too. Yeah, and the, you know what? No matter what, some leader – it's football. Leaders step down or move on to different teams. New leaders come in or step up. And somebody who's, I think, not been discussed about filling boards – leadership role no not even a no it doesn't have to be a no fly zone but just as a defensive leader is peco peco has been discussed as just an all-around excellent dude leader in the clubhouse cincinnati players i think it was you that said it they were just crushed when they found out that the Bengals weren't bringing him back so one leader out another leader in i am just looking for a better play across the field and with elway's cap maneuverings including the tj ward uh, release they've added an additional uh, 20 million in cap. I believe I read that on uh, Pro Football Focus. So about 20 million in cap. So that's going to be a big play. And it's, I mean, we'll see how it plays out in the end. But I do like our young safeties and I'm excited about the future. Definitely. All right. Well, let's let's move on to my, actually, this is my, you know, we're talking about key matchups. This is like my key matchup of the key matchups. 
I guess I was. Ah, uh, you're stealing my thunder, Carl. Oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally I'm writing an article on this. Are you okay? I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I, it's, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's it's exact. I mean, it does. It is. It, this is this. You know, no. Broncos tackles versus Bosa and Ingram. Bosa and Ingram, they were the best one-two punch from the the edge rushers in the NFL. Doesn't mean that they were the the best, but combined, I think that they were the best one-two punch. Houston probably has something to say about that. Yes, I was going to say Houston. <laughs> and, and Houston now, that they're trio. <laughs> I'm interested to see how teams try to defend now that, that J.J. Watt's back. You know, I, I don't know how what kind of J.J. J. Watt is back, but we'll just have to see. But anyway, back to Bosa and Ingram here. These two, man, they, they really turned it on last year. It was, it was a sight to see. And, you know, last year with DeMarcus Ware down with injury for most of the year, you know, Shane Ray was kind of up and down depending on the day, you know, Shaq Barrett, he was, I mean, he was good, but he just, he's kind of the the forgotten man sometimes in that whole battle. But anyway, yeah, we, we just, we never could find that number two guy that could be consistent on the other side of, of Von Miller. And for the, the chargers, it looks like they have that great one, two punch for the next four five, six years, if not more, you know, depending on how healthy these guys say stay. But then of course, you know, for the Broncos, Two brand new tackles, one of them fresh out of college football going up against these guys. This is a matchup the Broncos have to at least break even, I'd say, if they want to stand a chance to win this game because Bosa and Ingram are guys that can just destroy a game plan with one play. Joey Bosa, I'll admit, I was completely off on how good of an NFL player he was going to be. I thought he'd be good. I didn't think he'd be elite day one. You know, I I didn't think he had that... when I when I view a, an edge rusher, the guy that's going to be completely elite, they're either so strong, you know, like a Khalil Mack, that they can just destroy an offensive tackle. You know, they can take on a double team and just throw both guys to the side. Or they are Von Miller that can win to the edge, you know, that just have such elite speed. And and Bosa just seemed kind of like that tweener. Like he has decent strength. You know, he's, he's actually very, very strong, but he's not Khalil Mack strong. And he's got good speed, but he's not Von Miller speed. So I always kind of thought he was kind of that in-between guy, I guess. I don't know. That that was always kind of my thought. But he he exploded onto the to the NFL scene. You know, he was the fifth best edge defender according to, to Pro Football Focus as a rookie. And he was both dominant as as a pass rusher and run defender. He I think he missed what, four games last year? Yeah, he missed the first four games because again, the Chargers ownership is garbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he had 59 quarterback pressures in that time. And that tied Von Miller for his rookie season. He had 59 quarterback pressures through the first 12 games, finished with 70 as a rookie. So, you know, that that's kind of the rookie season he had, defensive rookie of the year. Um, you know, the, it just it was impressive to watch this guy work. And he has just that that relentless motor. Say he doesn't win right off the bat, he is that guy that just keeps coming. You know, until that whistle blows, he's not going to give up. And man, that's that's going to be a, a handful for our guys for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I like I touched on. I'm working on an article, and I've just got the statistics from Pro Football Focus, which I'll just touch on some of them because if you're interested in more, check out my article that should be coming out in a couple of days. Maybe granted, it'll probably be the day that you're listening to this podcast. But yeah, like you said, 89.7 uh, overall grade, which is the fifth best among all edge defenders. 87.7 pass rush grade which was tied fourth 
and 87.5 run defense grade, tied eighth. And while I agree with you that I didn't expect him to be this good this early, I still don't think he he is or will ever be on the level that what Khalil Mack, he's just not, he doesn't have an elite enough tool. Like you touched on, you were, you're touching it great, but I think you are maybe overvaluing his statistics last year a little bit. He had, from what I saw, and Brett Coleman, if you don't watch him on YouTube, he does great film breakdown pieces. He did one on Joey Bosa where he's like complimented Joey Bosa, you know, great player, plays with his hair on fire, very technical, really never just never has a false step. He always uses proper hand technique. I mean, as a technician, he is a coach's dream because he's probably just a phenom in the bag drill. But he had a lot of coverage snack sacks and a lot of just cleanup sacks as well over the you know, the first interior or the interior pressure or potentially is other guy who we'll talk about here pushes the quarterback to the other side and Bosa is there to clean it up. You know, granted it takes the motor and the skill to put yourself in the right position to make the play, but he's, he's not, he's not Von Miller. He's not Cleo Mack, but very fun player. I mean, six, five, 280 pounds to play that edged position. He's going to hold the edge very well on the run defense and he can beat guys with decent depth. He has a great agility as well. He was agility at the combine was, I think the second best of all the edge defenders, which for a guy that's 270 to 280 pounds is incredible. Cause he's going up against uh, being compared against guys who are like 240 to 250. So that agility is incredible and just, just a really good player. And it's unfortunate that he plays for the chargers. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, they, to me, they got their cornerstone piece. I do agree. He's not Von Miller. He's not Khalil Mack. I don't think he's even Justin Houston when Justin Houston's healthy. No, you know, I would put him fourth out of that group. I mean, but that's, you're, you're also talking pretty much for me, the top three edge rushers in the NFL right there too. Yeah. So, I would also you know. have just based on potential and what I've seen and just athleticism, but I'm, I'm sorry. I, I trajectory is important for me, not just looking at the stats, but what guys can be. I'm always drawn in. Like if you listen to if, when you're listening to the draft podcast, we talk about any guys in the draft, Height, weight, speed. I am not Al Davis level in terms of that, but I like the bigger, faster guys. And I think if I was picking a team right now, I would rather have Clowney or Vic Beasley on edge as well. That's just me. I like Bosa, but I like those elite tools better. Definitely. Personally. Definitely. But he does have a a nice um, compliment on the other side in Melvin Ingram. Now, this is a guy, you know, taken in the first round by the Chargers. And was honestly kind of terrible there for a while. You know, he kept struggling with injuries, was very, very inconsistent. And finally, just seems like the last two years, especially but especially last year, he's just kind of shown this great growth that all of a sudden, you know, that, that patient pays patience pays off sometimes. You know, uh, there, there's a lot of people that sit here and say, you know, why is the team holding on to this player? <laughs> I'm not gonna mention names of players that right now people are getting after, but I think most of you know, I'm a big, I'm just going to say it, Paxton Lynch. You know, sometimes you got to show patience and it pays off. And for the Chargers, it paid off with (laughs) Melvin Ingram. You know, he just got a huge contract, four years, 64 million and 34 million in guaranteed. And yeah, big time money. And like I said, that patience paid off where he had 72 pressures this past season. You know, that that's um, sacks, that's hurries, that's hits combined together. And, um, you know, he's kind of an interesting body type to be on the other side. You got this, you know, 6'5", 280 pound guy on one side, and then you got this 6'1", 265 pound. You know, 
I, I remember when we were going through our outside linebacker breakdown for the for the Broncos, and like all of them were like within an inch of each other and within about five ten pounds of each other. You know, we we have a type that the Broncos look for, and for the Chargers, they have two kind of opposite ends of things for these two guys. But another, he's kind of that tested extremely well as an agile guy has, uh, you know, okay. Straight line speed, not great. He's not a great jumper either, but he's very strong and, uh, very flexible. I'm actually pretty impressed with his ability to bend around the edge. And, you know, like I said, they're a very nice combination. You got power on one side with Bosa and, you know, speed on the other side with, with Ingram. Yeah, they do form a pretty unique pair. One thing that I always think is funny is those guys with those tiny arms. He measured into the combine with 31 and a half inch arm length, which is, I mean, that's, that's incredibly short. He probably looks like a T-Rex out there in pads, let's be honest. Um, didn't test the best athletically either. Good agility, but not great straight line speed. Granted, not super important for the D-line. That agility drills, the three-cone especially. And he finally stepped up. Like you said, he was, if, you know, we talked about Bosa being the fifth rated edge rusher last season, according to Pro Football Focus. Ingram was sixth. <laughs> he had an 88.2 overall grade, 85.7 in the pass rush, which was good for ninth, and 85.4 in run defense, which was good for 11th. 70 total pressures, uh, eight sacks, 10 hits, 52 hurries. So, really, just a really good player on that. Uh, and if you're not blocking him, or, you know, he, if you're too focused on Bosa, Melvin's going to come in and make a big splash play and create a turnover or a big sack. So, for my money, I would say that this is the second best edge rush duo in the NFL. Obviously, Von Miller is 10,000 times better than either of them because Von Miller is essentially a Madden-created player. Is that good? But I'm sorry. I, I mean, I like Shane Ray, but he's not as he's never shown what Ingram did last season or what Bosa did in his first season. Doesn't have the same pedigree as Bosa either. But I would take Houston. The only team I would take over the Chargers edge rushers is Houston's. So it's going to be a huge task for the Broncos tackles. I don't, I don't know how it's going to turn out <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is one of those games. Honestly, I'm kind of hoping the Broncos really kind of do the ground and pound, you know, eliminate that pass rush just a little bit. You know, that, that means we can't fall behind early in the game like we have in the past and have to pass it because when those two guys can pin their ears back and come after the Broncos, it's not going to be pretty. And, and I really do hope if one of these guys is beating us bad, that the Broncos can be a little bit better at adjusting to that. I think that was probably one of my biggest issues with Kubiak was, you know, a guy's got four sacks on your tackle and you say, you know what, let's just keep him out there on an island again. Let's see what happens. Maybe it'll be different this time. You know, I mean, Khalil Mack made a, a career <laughs> out of beating Tyson Brelo and Schofield and Stevenson, you know, all those guys. I mean, every one of them looked terrible. And so I'm, I'm hoping that we can make some better adjustments, you know, if need be. If we have to go some max protect, I'd rather see that than, you know, those two guys just continuing to tee off on our quarterback. That's not going to be good. You know, as much as I'm glad that Brock Osweiler's back. I know some people aren't going to be happy about me saying that, but at the price he's at, I think he's a great signing. But I don't really want to see him on the field if I don't have to. You know, that that's definitely not something that you want. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, this is about as big a test as you get for, you know, brand new tackles coming in. Birth by fire. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So I, I don't know. How, how do you think this is going to turn out? How, what do you expect from these guys? 
I'm expecting a rough first game from our tackles. I'm going to be going to take off the Homer glasses and I'm expecting a fair amount of sacks, QB hits, maybe even a forced fumble, like a strip sack or something, especially if we get behind early and those guys are allowed to pin their ears back as hopeful as I am with this tackle duo to be better than last season. I think this is probably about as tough of an early matchup as you can get, you know, Monday night, the lights are on chargers have a decent amount to prove and just the inconsistencies I've seen with Watson and Bulls in preseason. I do think they're going to get better, but just this, you couldn't ask for a tougher week one matchup in that regard. And I think we're going to be talking at this point next week, we're going to be saying Bronco fans not to overreact from a tackles poor performance week one. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be some good. I do expect like, a lot of penalties, penalties yeah. on penalties. I, I could see that. You know, this is a, a, a game where you're going to see these guys maybe get beat a little bit and want to protect their quarterbacks. So they grab on and hold on for dear life kind of thing. And I don't know. I I do expect them to the Broncos offensive tackles to do a, le- a little bit of decent work in the run game. At Firehouse Subs, a portion of every purchase helps provide life-saving equipment to first responders. We make our subs differently because our subs can make a difference every day. That's why we're bringing back our daily medium sub special. Enjoy a different handcrafted medium sub at a special price for every day of the week. From Meatball Monday to Italian Sunday. Get it for a limited time, only at Firehouse Subs. Tap the banner now to start your pickup order. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I think that they can, at least, uh, especially Melvin Ingram, I think they can move him a little bit. You know, I'm not going to run a Bosa side. I'm going to run an Ingram side if I can. And I I think they can maybe make a little bit of noise that way. And, you know, both Watson and and Bulls, you know, they are people movers. They can be when they want to be, especially Bulls. You know, he's, he's definitely a people mover. But that aggression could get the best of him too. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Like I said, if they win this battle, it'll go a long way for me feeling really good about this season. You know, you talk about not overreacting. That might be the one time I, I overreact. If if Bulls and, and Watson can contain these two, I really am going to feel good about our season moving forward. Absolutely. I mean, if they, like you said, if they can contain Ingram and Bosa for a week one matchup and protect the quarterback and open up run lanes, Hats off to Elway. I mean, in one game, you know, you don't want to overanalyze one game, but that would be a huge step forward and would have all of us very excited about the direction of the offensive line as a whole. So I do want to touch on Corey legit just a little bit before we move on. We're, of course, already running a little long (laughs) because we like to talk, but interior defensive lineman, 6'2", 305, probably overdrafted as a first round pick, but been a pretty solid player. He's Better last year, in my opinion. I was probably a lot to do with the edge rushers around him finally getting work uh, and pulling off double teams off of him. Uh, when you're winning one on ones under on the inside, you know it's a little easier than doubles constantly. Had no sacks, but pretty good run stopper and uh, pass rusher as well. So just getting pressure on the quarterback. So 
I'm not expecting the best game by the tackles, but I think Leary should handle uh, Lujit pretty well. So moving along, the next point that we have was the Broncos front seven versus the Chargers run game. Now, last season, uh, Melvin Gordon had his coming out party, second year in the league. First year, not as good. Last year, he averaged over 100 yards against the Broncos. Week six, he had 94 yards for 3.5 yards per carry, no touchdowns and no receptions. That ended up being a win for the Chargers. He actually did better in their loss. He had 23 carries, 111 yards, 4.8 yards per carry, and four catches for 44 yards. Uh, Last year, he had 997 yards, just under four yards a carry, and 10 touchdowns. So he found Paydirt a lot, which was the fantasy community was up in arms about Melvin Gordon last season because he didn't find the end zone any time as a rookie, not even in preseason. And then last year, he found the end zone like 14 times, including preseason. So he's a good running back. He has a nose for the end zone. And he had 40 run receptions for 419 yards and two touchdowns as well. I think it was the last three weeks with a hip and foot injury. Might have been, oh, it's hip and knee. He had hip and knee injury, missed the last three weeks. So pretty good numbers considering he missed the last three weeks. And something that changes what Melvin Gordon is going to be this season, at least I believe, is bringing in head coach Anthony Lynn. He was the offensive coordinator for the Bills last year, and he likes to use the running back run game, pass game, screen game, sending them out to run errands, uh, pick up his mail. He uses the running back for literally everything. So I'm expecting to see Gordon involved in the pass game, uh, power run game. Um, he doesn't have as good of an offensive line as he did in Buffalo. Buffalo's line wasn't great, but the Chargers line, especially with uh, Forrest Lamp being injured. Sorry, Carl. I know. Moment of silence for Carl. Forrest Lamp. In the Um, yeah, so I think Melvin Gordon could have a big game. It's going to be big for the Broncos defensive line, a real, a real good first test considering the talent that he has. Yeah, I think for me that, I mean, Broncos obviously have some big changes on that, that defensive line. You hit on them earlier, Pecco, you know, our, our new 330-pound nose tackle coming in. Uh, Zach Kerr, I don't, think, I don't think he's going to play in this game. Doesn't sound like it. I don't know. Have you, have you heard anything so far? I don't I think, think he is going to play. Yeah, yeah I think he's, yeah, he's going to miss the first week or two here. But, you know, you have Jared Crick who put on 15, 20 pounds of muscle. You have Derek Wolf who put on some weight as well. You have Adam Gotsis, you know, the 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 superhero body that he brought into to camp. And, you know, just some some different changes there that could really make a big difference for the Broncos. And then on the other side for for the Chargers. They, you know, everybody thinks about the Broncos and how much they changed on, on the offensive line. Chargers did the same. Got Russell Okung coming over from the Broncos, got his big contract. Ah, really hope that nets us finally our third-round pick that we should have got this last year, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see. The NFL doesn't seem to like to hand us a whole lot of comp picks, but we'll see. Anyway, he's their new left tackle. Last year, if you remember right, uh, we talked about this. The Broncos averaged – I think it was like five yards a carry when they ran behind him. So not a great pass blocker, but he was a great run blocker for the Broncos. Slauson is moving over from the center to the left guard spot for him. And then they're going to start a guy named Spencer Pulley. He was an undrafted free agent from last year. Uh, got a few starts for him. And then Kenny Wiggins. You know, some of these guys, I'm sitting here going, who are these? And I had to do a little bit of research on Literally, stuff. like what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was kind of thinking, you know, Forrest Lamp would be at one left guard spot. And then Dan Freeney, their other big draft pick. I think he was their third round pick. 
I thought he'd be starting at the right guard spot, but right now they have Kenny Wiggins winning that spot. And he, he started eight games for the chargers playing both guard and tackle last year. And then the one player that is actually the same from last year is Joe Barksdale. So <laughs> kind of a, a really, uh, a newly revamped offensive line. Some of these guys, like I said, they started some games, didn't start all of them. And it could get, get very interesting to see how they, they do against our front seven. You know, anytime that you, you make that many changes to the offensive line, sometimes there's a lot of communication breakdowns. You know, I expect that with the Broncos, like we talked about earlier, of them having some struggles. Some of that's just going to be communication. And, and especially, you know, this offensive line, they're coming into a hostile environment. At least this game's in Denver. You know, our, our offensive line guys can talk back and forth and hear each other. For the Chargers, they're not going to be able to hear each other. I hope, at least I hope so. You know, Bronco country, you better be out there representing. You know, make that place loud. Make it the old mile high like it used to be. But, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they, they handle that and to handle our front seven guys. And I haven't heard quite yet, Has have they decided if uh, Shaq Barrett's going to start this game? I am not sure yet either. I haven't heard. Okay. Well, if he starts, I feel a lot better about our ability to stop the run. He is our outside linebacker that he's not Von Miller stopping the run, but he's up there. He He's very impressive. That's one of his big time strengths is his ability to anchor. And, and he doesn't fall for the, for the tricks. You know, he doesn't fall for the, the comeback or the cutbacks. He doesn't fall for the, um, you know, all, I don't know. Just there's lots of little tricks that teams try to do. He just doesn't fall for them like you saw with Shane Ray. You know, Shane Ray last year, one of his biggest issues was an offensive tackle could bait him to trying to cut inside and then the play go outside right around him. And, you know, Shaq Barrett, you don't have to worry about that. So I'm interested, I'm interested to see, you know, what kind of lineup we have, uh, who gets the starts, and, and especially in our big packages, who comes on the field. Yeah, and I'm, it's sad that Kerr is going to be out just because we need that beef up front to stop the run. But I think they'll do a pretty good job. We struggle, at least the way it looks, is we're going to struggle against more of the, the quick twitch smaller backs like we would struggle against Devonta Freeman. But that's not really Gordon's game. Uh, if you saw, and As you saw in preseason, the one game where we struggled on the ground was against the Bears once Tariq Cohen came in. He's as shifty and quick as it gets in terms of the rookie running back class. So I'm not as worried about the run game. And I am pretty confident that the guys we added and guys coming back, if they're healthy, will make a difference and stop the run pretty effectively, especially against this mediocre to poor offensive line for the Chargers. Right, right. No, I agree. All right, well, let's, let's move on to number four, our final one of the, the key matchups. And that, of course, is the Bronco receivers versus the Chargers secondary. And I had somebody say the other day that the, or at least that I was talking to about this game, they said, you know, Chargers secondary – not that great. And in my mind, I'm going, well, I don't know how true that really is because I do think that they have a pair of, of cornerbacks in Casey Hayward and Jason Verrett that are actually very impressive players. You know, Casey Hayward, he finished with, uh, what was it, the highest overall grade for his team last year at 88.9, led the NFL in interceptions with seven. Uh, he, he really had an impressive year. And... You know, for the Broncos, this will be – we've been talking about this all off season. that one of the biggest things the Broncos have to get figured out is who is that third weapon. You know, they have DT. Of course, they have Emmanuel Sanders. They're both great players. They're both probably top 20, top 25 wide receivers in the NFL. Who do we have behind them? 
<laughs> Not much. Um, <laughs> Nobody's really emerged. You know, Latimer had that first great preseason game. Then he was kind of nothing. You know, he got hurt and we just didn't really see him. Fowler, I don't know. I didn't really see him a whole lot in preseason do a whole lot. You know, he's a good run blocker. But receiver-wise, he didn't do a whole lot. Tight ends-wise, nothing. I don't know. <laughs> it just – I still don't think we've really answered that question yet. Yeah, I'm not super stoked about any of our third, fourth wide receivers or the tight end options. We really needed to add another passing weapon to the offense. And while Jordan Taylor was impressive throughout preseason, he's not a guy that – is talented enough that means you displace Sanders or DT. Now, when I say displace, you're not moving DT or Sanders primarily to the slot. That's not where they're valuable. I mean, DT probably can play some big slot, but you want him to be that physical guy outside where he has the cornerback matchup. You don't want him to have too many contested catches. He already has a hard time bringing down um, some of those tougher balls. He'll make the incredible highlight catch, but then he'll have a cornerback just barely on him and he'll drop it. So putting him in slot, bad idea. And Sanders, he is small, he is quick, fast, but where he wins is, again, we talked about earlier, that deep ball tracking it, um, using his quickness and his second gear that he has to really just go chase down balls. And you put him in the slot at his size, I just, I don't know, that seems like a not a smart idea. He's not a slot receiver. That's just not what he is. So Jordan Taylor is good, but he's more of the, the backup boundary wide receiver. So it comes down to Latimer or Fowler. It's going to be Fowler, I'm guessing, but literally just it does not get me. I could not be less excited about the third wide receiver, as pessimistic as that sounds. Just none of them have stepped up. I was hoping maybe Carlos Henderson would be something when we drafted him because he does have that size and that agility and to show that he could be a good slot weapon. And we're not even talking about Isaiah McKenzie. He's, what is he, 5'8", 180. He's not going to be really involved in the pass game. I mean, right. he'll be used somewhat as a gadget weapon, but people talking about him being the third wide receiver, I, I don't buy it. There's not many guys that small, that size that can handle playing slot because you're going to get hit by linebackers and safeties. It's just, I don't see a guy that small holding right. up there. He's not thick enough. No, I, I agree with you. He's going to be more of, like you said, that gadget player that you have, I don't know, five to 10 plays in the playbook that you try to get him in there just to, you know, make a, a defense have to think about it and try to get his, you know, you try to get him the ball in space He's Trenton Holiday with decent hands. You know, he's not quite as fast as Trenton Holiday, but there's a reason that Trenton Holiday wasn't even trusted on the offense because he had terrible, terrible hands. And he couldn't even still, run a route. Right. Yeah, he couldn't run a route at all. But you still tried to kind of put him on the field every once in a while just to make a, a defense have to think about him. And, you know, I, I think Isaiah McKenzie's better than that. He, he's got more than that as yeah. an offensive player for sure. But starting off, you know, he's not going to be that, you know, play – 30, 40% of the snaps at that, you know, slot position for sure. So yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see what they try to do with that and and how they can try to attack the middle of the field because they have to, you know, that's where they have to try to attack because, you know, like I said, this cornerback duo and, you know, you and I both saw this of the NFL network said the Chargers cornerback duo is the best in the league. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Boo. (laughs) What a, even I'm just I think enough. Have you seen Billy Madison? Yeah, where he's like, that was by far the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Like, <laughs> yeah. I award you no points, and may God yeah. have mercy on your soul. Yeah, it was Ike much. Taylor who said that. Yeah, remember Ike Taylor? Yeah, oh my yeah. Fondest memory of Ike Taylor 
is, you know, we were going to bring it full circle. That Tebow slant to DT for 80 yards where he just burnt the living heck out of Ike Taylor on that slant. And then he stiff-armed him and got himself an extra 40 yards into the end zone because of that stiff arm. So I'm thinking maybe DT stiffed him a little too hard in the head. <laughs> he's saying that the Chargers have a better cornerback duo than the Broncos do. But, you know, that's that's just bringing up some bad memories for him. Hopefully he's not listening. He might uh, at me some angry angry faces on Twitter. We'll see. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Maurice Jones-Drew doesn't really talk to me anymore. He and I kind of exchanged because he, I think it was after Peyton Manning went down with injury, he'd made the comment that the Broncos would never win another game for the rest of the year. And uh, then we won like five straight games. And I was like, hey. But yeah, he didn't really appreciate my humor. Okay. <laughs> Off topic, NFL Network, fire Heath Evans. He is literally the most intolerable suck bag I have ever heard in sports in my life. Literally everything that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick does. He, he's essentially, he lives in Bill Belichick's and Tom Brady's butt so much he might as well be a polyp. <laughs> like that's, it's, he's got a smell. Like I saw him, because he had a comment the other day of Cam Newton had one pass or two passes and one completion. And Heath Evans was like, wow, Cam Newton looked great today. And then a couple of, you know, pretty good Twitter analysts mentioned, what are you talking about, Heath? Yeah, there was one pass. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And then he like went on a freaking roid rage tangent saying i hope you guys are sterilized and there and just like literally hashtag fire heath evans he is the <laughs> absolute worst yeah he hates the broncos too god I, yeah i'm sorry i do not like heath evans that's that's one of the problems with hiring ex-football players they still have like a hatred for certain teams you know it just it gets built into them and it's hard to get that out of him to actually give objective opinions. You know, Ray Lewis, I remember when he had to talk about Tom Brady. I mean, there'd be like literal steam like coming out of his head. You know, he, he just, he could not say a good thing about Tom Brady. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he was like the opposite of Heath Evans when it came to the Patriots. He hated them with a passion. And uh, so, yeah, sometimes those player analysts are just not, not great combinations. But I, I will say, I mean... As much as Ike Taylor, I, I think he was going a little bit crazy, obviously, saying that the, the Chargers do is the, Right, right. But they do have a good pair. Casey Hayward, like I said, he scored very well last year, led the league in interceptions, allowed uh, a quarterback rating of 53.4, you know, tied for a second. It wasn't even just they had interceptions. He had 27 pass breakups. You know, he just – he was a great player for him. I, I'm, I was very impressed, impressed by his season. And then Jason Verrett, when he is healthy, <laughs> this is always the thing with the, with the Chargers. About half their players, you have to say when they are healthy, they are pretty good. And Jason Verrett, he was kind of that, um, that guy that fell a little bit in the draft just mostly because of height. He was 5'10", 188. And, you know, actual play on the field, he was probably a top 15 pick. You know, if we're being honest, he just he was that kind of playmaker when he was at TCU. And, you know, he, he just, now that he's gotten to the NFL, when he's healthy, he's been a very, very good player. Uh, Pro Football Focus had him ranked as the 49th best player in the league in 2015. Not too bad, you know. <laughs> that's, that's pretty impressive for, for a guy of his size, especially. He's, uh, he's got the, the quickness. He's got the ability to burn and turn. He's got the physicality for a guy his size. I'm very, very impressed by his physicality. And he's just, he really is. He's very smooth, uh, runs great routes with the wide receivers. And 
we'll just have to see what he is coming back now again. You know, he suffered a, a torn ACL in week four of the 2016 season. And all these injuries adding up, you know, when is that point where it's, you know, that that injury takes something out of his game? You know, was it this one? It could have been, but like you were touching on, I, I cannot speak highly enough of Jason Verrett. I do like to have size in my cornerbacks, but his tape was just so flipping good at TCU. He was the ultimate quick twitch, in-your-face, just pesky cornerback, which I absolutely love, especially when you uh, need a guy like that to face against the uh, OBJs and the T.Y. Hiltons who can play that slot, and Antonio Brown, the guys who can move around and play the slot and the outside effectively because they are that start-and-stop athletes. And I think Verrett was my number one cornerback when he came out that season. I had Verrett number one and Roby number two. And he's, in 2015, just dominated. I mean, literally did not want to throw it his way. He will struggle against guys who are a little bit more physical, some size, but against like the Emmanuel Sanders and whatnot, I mean, he's a prototype type of cornerback for stopping those guys. And I love how physical he is against the run game as well. I mean, only 5'10", 188, but he is not afraid to come down and put some big hits. He has a lot of solo tackles in 2015 as well. Uh, Casey Hayward, the more accomplished cornerback, just been playing in the NFL longer. I don't understand why the heck the Packers let him go. My sister is a Packer fan because her boyfriend's a Packer fan. I know, grown, but just if she knew more, (laughs) I would give her a hard time about Casey Hayward because what are the Packers missing? Cornerbacks. Who's one of the top 10 cornerbacks in the NFL? The guy they just let walk uh, two off seasons ago. So while the the duo of Hayward and Verrett is not Chris Harris Jr. and Aqib Tlaib, so step off that. How dare you even suggest that it is a darn good group and a third wide receiver or third passing option is going to have to step up if we're going to move the ball through the air this game at least consistently you know sanders and dt are good enough they're going to get theirs they're going to win some matchups but it's going to be it's going to be tough Brett and hayward are very good so last year a guy named trevor williams came in and he was horrid bad uh, ranked 107 out of 120 corners according to pro football focus so that third wide receiver, that third option is going to have to step up. Otherwise, it's going to be tough sledding for the pass game when you look at the edge rushers as well as the the Broncos or the the Chargers cornerbacks. It's kind of irritating. I feel like they copied our uh, our defensive model. Yeah, a lot of teams do that. Yeah, true. Everybody wanted to be the Seahawks after they won, but you got to have you got to have a Von Miller type, and I don't think anybody does besides Oakland. That's the only other edge rusher I'd put up there. I'd be willing to put Justin Houston up there when he's healthy. Yeah, but I'd put Watt up there. Hasn't been too. for two years, so. Yeah. <laughs> you best know, ability years. is your availability yeah yeah i agree i agree but no they, yeah that like i said that third weapon man that's where you can get them and yeah. uh, we need a guy to step up big time so i'll be interesting interesting to see who gets that that start who gets that position yeah absolutely well the the bonus we normally aren't going to do this many but there's just so many storylines maybe we will i don't know carl and i are windbags we could talk for flipping ever i'm not even joking we do talk forever <laughs> uh, but the bonus one that we had to throw out there was uh, Russell Okung versus who? Uh, Barrett is supposedly ahead of schedule, but he was only he wasn't supposed to be back until week four. So I'm guessing that with that, Barrett probably doesn't play. Maybe it was week three. He's ahead of schedule, so we'll see. Even if he does play, though, I'm expecting it to be a limited snap count. Uh, other than that, we have Edibali and Walker to fill in for him, which... If you've been listening to me do the uh, Facebook Live on Mile Idol afterwards, I've been 
tough on these two guys. Maybe I have high expectations for the edge rushers because of what we've had there. But both of them, besides Edibali week one and Walker week four, just did not really do it for me. Uh, they didn't get the pressure. I mean, we didn't have a sack until I mean, Edibali played well against the Bears, horrible tackles, but just didn't play as well after that. So Okung, uh, a lot of fans were irritated at him, pretty consistent. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Last year, I think he got a pretty bad rep. Um, he wasn't that bad. He was, you know, he's not an elite left tackle. But he's, I'd give him a B overall. His run blocking, I'd give an A. His pass blocking, I'd give a C. And his discipline, I'd give a D because he's very penalty prone. <laughs> That's probably one reason that he irritated so many fans. But, I mean, you saw how much he was valued on the open market. The Chargers gave him the highest paid salary per year of any tackle in the history of football. Russell Okung, the guy that Bronco fans were hating on last year. Is he the best tackle? No. I mean, Tyron Smith is obviously way better. Taylor Luan, Andrew Whitworth, but he's older. And uh, Trent Williams, who's I think is my favorite left tackle just because he's a little more hulking and physical than Smith. But Okung's a pretty good tackle. I mean, last year, kind of a mixed bag for him. Pass blocking efficiency wasn't the best. It was a 92.8, but his run blocking was way up there. So overall, we'll see how he does and how Edibali and Walker come in if Barrett is out. But I think that's going to be a big matchup. And obviously, if you have a guy pressuring the left tackle, they're not going to roll as much cover over to the right tackle to help Barksdale Barksdale against uh, Von Miller. So that'll be a big matchup and could go a long way in determining the outcome of this game. Yeah, can't disagree with any of that. Um, you know, Okung, you and I are both kind of in agreement that we thought the Broncos should give him another year. And obviously, for the money he got, th- there's just no way the Broncos were going to pay that much for him, you know. And and I'm glad that they didn't, honestly. But, yeah, he, he definitely got a, a worse rap than he should. I, I think – I keep telling people this, and, and people take it as I'm making excuses for the offensive line. And – not every sack last year was the offensive line's fault. Not every bad run play was the offensive line's fault. That doesn't mean that they were great, but it doesn't no. mean everything that went bad was completely their fault. You know, there were some sacks where the quarterbacks, you, I, I think I did an article on this, on they were 8 to 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. There's an open pocket for them to step into, and they just hung back there. Well, you've made the the – the job for the offensive tackle impossible. You know, a guy can take such a wide rate, you know, a wide arc to get to the quarterback. It's ridiculous. That's not on the offensive tackle. In my opinion, yes, they get credit for giving up the sack, but that to me is on the quarterback. But again, that doesn't mean that they were great. doesn't mean that they were perfect by any means. And same in the run game. You know, there's a lot of plays where they missed guys, but there's also a lot of times where there was a nice hole for them to, for the running back to run through. And, you know, we just had a lot of young running backs that didn't have a whole lot of experience and they didn't always see the holes. You know, that's why we saw a huge drop off from week seven to to week eight on, you know, when, when CJ Anderson went out, that's what kind of happened. You know, our guys just didn't find those holes that were there. So it's, it's kind of a combination and Okung, you know, yeah, he can be beaten the run and the pass game for sure. 
And our guys are going to have to hold up well in the, in the run game because I think that's exactly where they're going to try to attack. You know, you don't want to run it at Von Miller. That's stupid. <laughs> you know, plus on his side, you have Derek Wolf, one of the best run defenders at the 3-4 defensive ends. You know, that, that's not the place to attack. So you're, the Chargers, they know that. They're going to attack that left side. And or right side, I guess, on the defense. Yeah, right side on the defense. So they'll attack Jared Crick. They'll attack Demarcus Walker, um, Edibali. You know, hopefully Barrett if he gets in there for a little bit. And that's also the side usually that Todd Davis is on. So you know, it, that's where our weakness is on this defense. At least it was last year. And Okung's going to be there to uh, possibly open up some nice holes. Ho- hopefully not, but. He did for the Broncos a, a few times last year, for sure. Yeah, especially if he goes against Walker, which one of our biggest complaints was he is not does not set the edge well, can get blown off the line, and Okun is about as good as doing that at the left tackle position as any in football. So definitely something to watch. But first, before we go any farther, we want to once again say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie is all about the fun and excitement of making accurate predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any of the funds. Site members can make picks against real spreads, lines, and totals for major sports leagues and associations, as well as college sports, and compete for great prizes courtesy of MyBookie. MyBookie.net is the greatest, most professional, 100% recreational sports prediction service you can find on the web. Instead of the typical head-to-head challenges and handicapping contests, MyBookie.net goes beyond the basics and offers members a true betting platform that will make users feel like they were in a real betting site. Unlike most betting services, MyBookie.net is completely free that allows you to make daily predictions and bets and win real prizes at no cost. MyBookie is not a gambling or a play-for-money site. It's a free sports wagering website built for millions of sports fans to provide them with a platform to participate in picking games, predicting scores, and competing for free prizes without risking any money. Don't risk any of your cold hard cash. Just like the office pick'em contests in fantasy football, MyBookie brings a deeper enjoyment and excitement to watching our favorite teams by increasing the stakes. It is fun, and for no cost, you get to make predictions and qualify for prizes. Again, the service is absolutely free for all users. We once again want to say thank you to MyBookie.net for sponsoring the Huddle Up podcast. All right, Carl. Well, the next segment we like to touch on here is our player to watch, our highlighted player of the game. And for you, you wrote a guy down here on our notes that I just wrote an article on. So I'll, I'll pass it off to you. <laughs> well, I, you know, this one might be, a, it, it's not quite as obvious as maybe yours, but it is pretty obvious in Justin Simmons. Uh, you know, he's getting his very first start. Uh, it's not his very first start start, but it's, you know, where he's finally taken over and he's going to be that guy unless he gets hurt for the rest of the year at this position. And, you know, he's taken over for TJ Ward, fan favorite, fan, you know, not not just only a fan favorite, but coach's favorite, player's favorite, you know, just a, a very well-respected and loved player in TJ Ward. And that's a lot of pressure. You know, he messes up one time. He gives up one touchdown in this game. And fans are going to be maybe not calling for his head, but calling for Elway's head. You know, they're already doing that. And and we haven't even seen what these these young guys can do completely in an actual game where, you know, TJ Ward doesn't have an opportunity. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just interested to see how he handles all that pressure. I think he is a, a guy that could really emerge year two, a guy that could really surprise a lot of people. You know, he could become that household name. But like I said, how does he handle now that added pressure of being that true starter on this defense and joining, you know, the no fly zone? That's added pressure as well. 
you know, that that's <laughs> two years in a row getting ready to hopefully set the record for three straight years of being the best secondary in the NFL. It's never been done. Broncos have the opportunity to do that this year. And Justin Simmons can be the guy that either helps create it or sees it fall apart. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm very excited to see him play. I think he could be a huge playmaker for this defense. I think he can be a turnover machine. You know, it's one thing we kind of missed last year compared to the 2015 season. We just didn't get the the timely turnovers. And, you know, Justin Simmons, he's that guy that he just seems to, to find a way to be around the ball. And he's a, he's a guy that can really make some tough catches. You know, I've heard of him making some just incredible interceptions during training camp this year. So, yeah, definitely interested to see how he does. And he's got a tough matchup going up against, of course, Henry and Gates. Uh, you know, it doesn't get much t- tougher than that. I mean, I guess we'll, he'll go against Kelsey. He'll go against Gronk. But, you know, this is a, a very tough first test for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And when he came out, there was that game against Notre Dame that made me fall in love with him. It's not only that he has agility and size and, you know, good lower body uh, strength and explosion, but he's just very smart. He's instinctual. I think he was a two-year team captain at Boston College, which to get into Boston College alone is obviously makes him a smart player. And I think – I honestly think we upgraded. <laughs> I love Ward, but I was not loving him in that deep zone coverage, and I think adding Simmons back there just adds versatility. So when you have Vance Joseph, uh, Joe Woods – defensive back minded guys, you know, adding another just unique weapon back there. I'm excited. I, I love Simmons. I think he's going to be a, a stud for us. So good pick. And if you haven't read my article yet, uh, how the no fly zone is going to evolve, maybe we uh, upgraded from propellers to jet engines, Justin Simmons. And then we're going to go into space travel and we had Derwin James next year. So, <laughs> um, but my player to watch is the, the most obvious we've hinted around the guy, the guys around him, you know, the tackles need to step up and protect uh, the wide receivers need to beat the tough cornerback matchups. And we need a third wide receiver or tight end to step up. But for me, the player to watch and the key player of the game has to be the quarterback, Trevor Simeon uh, last season. You touched on it already. I was grinding my teeth here when you were talking about uh, the sacks surrendered last season, he did not show great period. Go back and watch the tape. You know, you see Stevenson and Sombrilo get beat uh, time to time. Yes, they do. The tackles were not great last year, but Simeon did not do the movements necessary in and out of the pocket to buy himself time to create throwing lanes, to escape when needed, and to create just better passing options for him. The best quarterbacks in the game, even ones that aren't athletic like Phillip Rivers and Tom Brady, you can see them. They just glide in the pocket and move around. So if you see a tackle get beat, they'll just step right up. And that edge defender, he beat the tackle. But because because of the player's uh, pocket awareness, he'll just slide right up or right um, outside the shoulder of that tackle getting beat and create himself another two, three seconds. That's something that Simeon did not do last year. And that's something Paxton hasn't really done at all. Paxton's a tuck and run guy. No offense, Carl. I had to take a shot there. <laughs> I'm taking. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's going to have to do a better job manipulating the pocket and climbing the ladder. Uh, the Chargers head rushers are incredible. There's, I mean, they're they're going to be a problem this game, but the Broncos do have a better interior offensive line. Leary added is going to be better, whether it be Barbara or Garcia. I mean, having Leary there, no matter what, is going to help. And then Paradis is going to be back. So climb the ladder, buy yourself time, and don't make it any easier on those uh, edge rushers than it has to be. Uh, player to watch as well. Another, I always come back, you know, we have draft draft crushes and they turn out to be like our children. Chris Jones, for the chiefs is one who broke my heart when he went there. Another one that broke my heart last year, going to rival team, 
Jatavis Brown, uh, Charger linebacker. He's only like six foot, 230 pounds. He's not a big guy, but man, he just plays with his hair on fire. Went to Akron. I think I saw him have a game where he had 25 tackles in one game. Like it was literally like side to side, sideline to sideline. He's more of a, a box safety because he's not the biggest. Uh, and he fell down to the top of the fifth round. But my gosh, what a fun player. And he was injured last year. He was playing really well until he got injured. But a hair and fire missile type. And wish him the best, but not in this game. So somebody to watch there as well. All right. Well, finally, we have our last topic of the podcast. Um, what to watch for. Not just a player, but just a general area of the game that is going to make a difference in the outcome. You know, obviously we have the, the super obvious ones like score more points. That's John Madden level, you know. If you catch the ball in the end zone, that, that, that's a touchdown. Thanks, Madden. Uh, it's not, or not the turnover battle. We haven't, that's a little too early to throw ones out there like that. But just an a, uh, area of the game that's going to have a large impact. And for me, it's something that we I touched on, I hinted on a little bit earlier, but that is stopping the run. Uh, as we talked about, Melvin Gordon is a very talented back, uh, second first round back of the draft when he was selected. Uh, Todd Gurley went the 10th overall selection that year. But Gordon's a very talented back, and Anthony Lynn, their new head coach, just is all about running the ball. And they're going to give it to Gordon 25, 30 times maybe, including receptions. So if the Broncos are doing a good job on first and second down and stopping those runs for negative to just positive two yards, you know, minimal gains, that's going to just change the entire complexion of what the defense can do and what the Chargers can do. Phillip Rivers does not have a great arm anymore. Uh, he's not the most agile guy. So if you are able to get him in third and seven or longer consistently, make him stay in the pocket a little longer, make him have to throw just a little bit more risky pass, you know, one that needs a little bit more time to get to the first down marker, that can make the difference of the entire game. So stop the run, create third and longs, and let Von Miller eat is my area to watch for this game. For me, my mine is, and I kind of view this, this section here a little bit, you know, you kind of hinted there of, you know, if we can stop the ball, you know, stop the run, especially against a, you know, Anthony, Anthony Lynn red led team. Um, the thing that'll give me hope for the upcoming season is if the Broncos on offense have great third down efficiency, this was probably, I'd say the biggest weakness of the entire team last year, Broncos finished 31st. I'm trying to remember who we even beat. I can't remember off the top of my head, but Third down efficiency last year, we picked up 34.2% of all third downs. You know, and I, I kind of thought for a second about doing red zone efficiency, but you got to get to the red zone to even have that kind of efficiency. And last year, we couldn't even get to the red zone. And uh, so, you know, I, I'll feel a lot better about this upcoming season if the Broncos can actually move the ball in third down. You know, maybe <laughs> uh, I'd love to see like two third down and one plays that the Broncos actually pick up. You know, if they can do that, I'm going to sit here and go, you know what? Maybe this offense actually is better than last year. But, you know, so far, you know, the preseason, the Broncos haven't shown it. You know, I remember it was a I think it was a third down and four play and Trevor Simeon threw it two yards. You know, he just kind of hoped that his receiver would pick up the other two yards. And I just I don't get on those short yardage situations like that. I understand like every once in a while throwing it shorter than the sticks, but it seems like every time. On third down, the Broncos, when they're passing, throw it short of a first down. And it just drives me up a wall. Like, I understand they're going to be they're going to be sitting at the first down marker, but it <laughs> doesn't mean that you can't still challenge them to actually push them off that marker a little bit or make them have to play tighter coverage or something, you know. It just 
you know, teams last year, they knew sit at the marker, wait for the Broncos to throw it short, go up and make a tackle. That's how you beat them. It, it wasn't very hard. It wasn't rocket scientists. It wasn't rocket science or anything like that. It was pretty easy. And so just to see, especially Trevor Simeon, take a few more chances down the field or let a play develop a little bit more. You know, he's kind of, I think the one part of his game beyond the pocket awareness that drove me nuts was he was too quick to go off of his reads. He went to the check down very, very quickly. He looked at his first read, go, oh, covered, check down. You know, just go through your reads. That's why, you know, last year, Emmanuel Sanders, there might not have been a more frustrated Bronco player last year than Emmanuel Sanders. He, he showed it on the field. There's so many times where he beat his guy so quickly off the line of scrimmage. You know, that, that's, his, that's his game. He beats guys quickly. You know, that's why he's a great third down type wide receiver. And Trevor Simeon or Paxton Lynch, neither of them would even look to that side of the field. You know, they'd be zoned in on like one player. When that player wasn't covered, Paxton Lynch would take off running. Trevor Simeon would hit the check down throw. And it just drove me nuts. So if I could see either of those, you know, stop the run or third down efficiency look a little bit better, I'm going to feel a lot better about this upcoming season. Because I'll be honest, right now, I'm kind of, I'm iffy on this upcoming year. I think the Broncos could be decent. I think they can be a very tough playoff team. Obviously, they still have a great defense. I really, I'm, I'm with you. I think the no-fly zone could actually be better this year without TJ Ward. Run defense might be hurt a little bit. Pass rush might be hurt a little bit. But actual pass defense, I think it's going to be better. If losing a safety is the make or break for your run defense, you already have issues on your run defense. That's true. That I'm is very saying. true. <laughs> That's I'm very true. But no, I, I I feel a lot more confident in our team's ability to stop the run this year than I do at our ability to handle third down efficiency. If I'm Especially being honest. That third weapon. Yeah. And it just so like I said, if they can show well in third down, I'm gonna feel really good about this upcoming season and our chances to actually be competitive and to make teams really sweat it out if they have to meet us in the playoffs. Because with that defense, you know, you get to the playoffs. We saw in 2015 what they can do. And I Defenses know and run games travel. Right, exactly. So, you know, but we have to get there, obviously. And part of that is, you know, the, the offense has to show something. They have to be better than last year. You can't have that defense going out on the field after three and out over and over and over again. You know, we already saw the frustration boil over last year. We've already seen some of the frustration even this offseason. Um, you know, what was it, Tlaib and... Todd Davis already got into a fight, yeah. a shoving match or something like that. I don't know what all happened there, but you know, there is, I think there is a little bit of under, under the surface tension that's really boiling up that could really go one way or the other. Well, hopefully Vance Joseph steps up to the challenge because that's what he's here for. I mean, that's, you're not calling plays. You're here to be a leader and a facilitator. Well, before we get out of here, we want to say thank you to one of our sponsors, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up. It's a great app, uh, lets you choose from obviously a lot of books. If you're trying to get football smarter, Carl and I both have been listening to football books on there you know if you have a short bus ride like i do to work every day 15 to 20 minutes just put on the book you know wait for that coffee to kick in and close your eyes that's that's the only way i get through the morning just uh head on over to www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up 
Well, that will wrap up our first official preview episode. I guess the other ones were official too, but our first regular season uh, preview episode of the Broncos taking on the Los Angeles Chargers. Thank you for tuning in through our deep dives throughout this off season. And for, you know, just all the feedback you guys have been giving us. We love the comments on iTunes and Stitcher and, and make sure you're leaving those comments if you haven't yet for your chance to win the VIP access to Mile High Huddle for all that extra in-depth articles for really just the most hardcore fans. Football season is finally freaking here. How are you feeling, Carl? Oh, I'm I'm feeling great, man. Life without football on Sunday is uh, <laughs> it's not fun for us. You know, while we're recording this, tomorrow is the first official game: Patriots versus Chiefs. And oh man, I hope they both lose. I know, I know. I I, I told <laughs> Patriot fans, I'm like, I don't even know who to cheer for here. They're like, Oh, cheer for us! It's a division team. And I'm like, I don't care. I still love seeing the Patriots lose. I, I don't know. Yeah, so, especially yeah, title I, defense. Yeah, yeah. But it, it'll be be fun to finally see some real football again especially our Broncos, man. I'm so excited to especially see Von Miller get out there and go for that 30 sack record. I don't think he'll get there, but <laughs> it'll be fun as he tries to get it. I would love to see him get 20. Let's just, let's just start with a nice, even number there. 20 sacks would be great. <laughs> you can find Carl on Twitter at Carl Dummler, MHH and myself at Nick Kendall, MHH, as well as find our Bronco articles on my huddle an affiliate of scout.com and the CBS sports digital network. The last piece I worked on was one involving the no fly zone. If they can evolve, from TJ Ward with uh, Carter, Parks, and Simmons. And I'm also working on a piece probably some point tomorrow whether uh, the Broncos' tackles can survive their birth by fire against the Chargers' edge rusher. You guys kind of got a preview here, though. So, But still, I'll be throwing in a little more information and just diving in a little bit deeper. What are you working on right now, Carl? I am working on something with the the third weapon and just seeing oh. how the Broncos, even with a lack of talent of how they could maybe use some of these guys to the strength of their their skills. And uh, so, yeah, I'm trying to see how I can put that all together. Dark horse third weapon in the past game, Jamal Charles. Just throwing (laughs) it out there. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) You can follow the Huddle Up podcast by subscribing to us on iTunes and for Android users, Stitcher. Uh, We also have audio up on YouTube, so you can check that out and leave comments. I'd like to go on there and interact with you guys. So if you leave a comment, you're probably going to get a response from me. Follow us on Twitter at Huddle and at HuddleUpPod. Again, please be sure to subscribe and rate us and leave a comment. For Carl Dummer, I'm Nick Kendall wrapping up another episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you next week. And as always, go Broncos. Mile high huddle.